when you are in a traumatic household, you experience this vast amount of pain around your failures that reinforces this idea that it's not safe to be you. Because think about this. You showed up. You tried to be who you are. Well, you had to suffer for that. And so you go through this process where you're 8, 12, 16, 18 years old, and it makes sense. Don't be you because you'll be safe. And then you're 22, 45, 57 years old, and you don't know how to say yes or say no. You have no idea what your wants, needs, or interests are. You can't express your boundaries. You get ran all over. You always bend to the will of other people. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Michael Unbroken has been through the gauntlet in life. The son of drug addicts and abusers, he was molested as a child by a close family friend, homeless by age of 10, a drug addict at 12, an alcoholic at 19, and he eventually became morbidly obese. If that wasn't enough, his own mother even cut off his finger. Crazy. I know. But through a lifetime of hard work, self-actualization, and mindset training, Michael was able to turn his life around to become a successful entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, and now a trauma mentor for others suffering like he did. He is now the happiest, healthiest, and most in love version of himself that he's ever been. And he has made it his life's mission to gift to the world the tools and knowledge that he has accumulated so that they can do the same. This conversation is obviously a deep one, but Michael's story is inspirational, and like his name states, the fact that he can remain unbroken after everything he has been through proves that it's possible for you. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, Michael, uh, thank you so much for being here. The, to start this conversation off, I think that obviously we're going to be talking about trauma today because that is what you do as a trauma coach, and then to really ground this conversation, I want to know, what is trauma to you? How do you define that word? You know, there are a lot of definitions to it, right? Of course, there's the, what people will frame as like the big T trauma, that's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, sexual abuse, that stuff that you can really see it's palpable, like it's right there. And then there's little stuff, man. There, there's shit that happens in our life that, you know, you, in the moment, you never realize that it impacts you the way that it does. And then 30 years later, you're like, man, how did I get this way? And it's because like that one little thing. And and ultimately, for me, as I dive deeper into it now, having done an unbelievable amount of research, having worked with people like Bessel van der Kolk and Gabra Mate, Pete Walker, Dr. Caroline Leaf, Anna Lamke, Jed Brewer, and then even personal development guys like Tony Robbins, Tom Bilyeu, like the list goes on and on. Like I'm always, always, always bringing in information. 
And what dawned on me probably about a year ago, I was like, oh, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting about trauma, it's, it's not so much, you know, the cuts and the scars and the pain that we carry. It's the theft of our identity. And growing up in a childhood like mine, where the fastest way for me to get my head slammed into a wall was actually to just exist, you, you learn how to turn yourself off. And I, I think that's probably the most dire reality to what trauma really is. Yeah, I think that that's such a good explanation. And I don't usually get too much into people's backstories, especially someone like you who has books and podcasts and other things like that. And I, I, there's so much value that you can bring here beyond repeating and regurgitating what you've already said so much on the internet. But I do think there's some value in just a little bit explaining how you got to where you are and, you know, what makes you so inclined to learn about this and teach about this. And, you know, just for me listening, the people that you just named off, right? For anyone listening, might not know all those names, but you're like listening, listing like the rock stars of like <laughs> trauma therapy and, and and personal development and personal growth. So it's so clear that you've done your research and you've been in, in the weeds with this. So what got you started from where you were to where you are now? Yeah. I mean, and look, I think context is everything, right? I mean, whenever I hear somebody who's like, and then suddenly everything was great. I'm like, you're a liar. That's not how life works. Um, so I'll give you the, the synopsis that kind of led me to here. Um, grew up in Indianapolis in the eighties. Mom was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, she actually cut off my right index finger. My stepfather, super abusive, would kick the shit out of my brothers. And I put me in the hospital multiple times. And that's just the beginning, right? And what I always try to say is, you know, hurt people hurt people. And that's the truth. And even though it sucks and it's unfair, like that's the reality of the world that we live in. But healed people heal people. And so, you know, I fast forward through a lot of the chaos. I was homeless as a kid. I didn't graduate high school. My three childhood best friends got murdered. I mean, I was a drug addict at 12 years old. You know, the list goes on and on and on, man. And I, I kind of figured out how to navigate money in my 20s and thinking money is like the solution to all these things. Obviously, it's not. You don't ever know that until you know that, though. You know what I mean? And so I I found myself at 25 heading into 26. I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. Um, I was high from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. My brother, one of my brothers said, never talk to me again. My best friends hated me. I was 40 grand in debt. I mean, it, it was just about as bad as it could be. And that all stemmed from all the abuse. Like I was living exactly as everyone told me I was going to be. I was a loser. I was not good enough, strong enough, capable enough. I was f fat and, and not taking care of my finances and my mental health and all of that stuff, because that's what everyone told me I was going to be. So I was living into that reality. And then I had this really intense rock bottom moment. And the next day I'm, I'm laying in bed and you know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games, man. It's like, boom, here it is. This is as low as it gets. And, and I picked myself up off the bed and I go into the bathroom. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I was just like, 
what are you doing? And I remembered being eight years old and the water company had come and turned off our water. Now, dude, they were always turning something off, our water, electricity, our heat. This was just normal. And this one particular day, I go in the backyard, I grab this little blue bucket, and I walk across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time, I stole water. And I remember being like, when I'm a grown-up, this won't be my life. And it wasn't in a lot of ways, but in so many ways, I was still that hurt, lost little boy. And as I looked at myself in the mirror, having that memory, I understood I was breaking the promise I had made to myself as a kid. And just like everyone had always told me, I was a loser. I wasn't good enough. I was never going to make anything of myself. And that, in that moment, made me ask myself a really, really interesting question. And I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer became no excuses, just results. And what that meant is I wasn't going to negotiate with myself anymore. I wasn't going to play the victim. I wasn't going to blame you. And look, I was great at blaming people. It was your fault, the community's fault, my parents' fault, like Obama's fault. Like it was, it was never Michael's fault, right? And then in that moment, I was like, no, take ownership over this shit because you put yourself here. And from that, what happened is I went deep into doing the work. I mean, you're talking about over 12 years ago, I decided to take my life seriously and take ownership and be responsible and go and do the hard things like therapy, men's group therapy, Gestalt, EMDR, CBT, NLP, ABC, all the acronyms, dude. Uh, literally, I, I put together a spreadsheet the other day, just a rough estimate. I was like, I wonder how much money I've spent on my own personal health. And it's over a quarter of a million dollars and like 4,000 hours to this point, right? And And it was just like, I decided, I wasn't joking when I said no excuses. I took every penny I had, every waking moment, every everything, and it's gotten to me where I am today, a decade plus later, and I know to get to where I want to go, I just have to continue to rinse and repeat this. And through this process, to answer your question, what happened was I started a blog almost seven years ago, and I was just sharing random stuff that I found about mental health on the internet. And then about six years ago, I posted publicly for the first time this experience that I had. And then I had all these people start reaching out to me. And then from that, it kind of turned into what it's become today, right? Writing books, speaking on stages, having podcasts, coaching thousands of people around the world, being a subject matter expert on this thing. And and really, it's all in the, the guise of one thing, like to be of service, and to end generational trauma in my lifetime through education and information so another kid doesn't have a story like mine. And, you know, that has led to where I'm at. But like anyone's hero journey, it all starts when we go and look in that mirror and we go, okay, enough is enough. Well, that was amazing a lot. And one, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. I, I know that, you know, this is stuff that you're very open about, but anytime someone talks about their their past and, and specifically, you know, yours was clearly uh, was a tough one. I, I don't take that lightly because that's, you know, it's never easy, no matter how many times we do it, we, we, we bring that up. And there's so many things that you said in there, you know, taking ownership, no excuses, not negotiating with yourself. But I want to actually go back to when you were discussing 
your definition of trauma, uh, you mentioned something that really stood out to me, which is that you said that trauma is the theft of our identity, right? And and then you said just now, like for when you were when you were d- before you, right, M- Michael 1.0, who was obese and broke and blah 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 blah. You were living as everyone told you you would be. You were you were living out the narrative that was given to you. So I'm wondering, how do you break out of that? How does someone who is stuck in that identity of the of the victim, the trauma person, how do you get to not identify in that way? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? Like, ultimately, that is the that is the thing that we are seeking. That is what it is that changes people's lives forever is to be able to answer that question. And, you know, let me create context around it because I think it will help people a lot. When we're, when we're growing up, our brain is disseminating information in a way to help us decipher and distill whether or not we are safe. Ultimately, every single thing that the human brain does is in the purpose of one service, and that is safety. That's it. That's Literally, that's it. The rest of it doesn't matter. And so as you're living your life and you're going through these different experiences and events, your brain measures them and goes, is this safe or is this not safe? If it's safe, the brain goes, okay, cool, I can keep doing this. If it's not safe, the brain goes, okay, wait a second, that endangers me, right? Now you get into the prefrontal cortex in which you're in this, really this heightened state of arousal, hyper arousal, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. You can't really make plans. You can't really figure things out. You're just kind of on autopilot, right? And that's because you're in a place of danger and all of your non primary systems, they shut down, right? Because you have to be safe. That's the same way as if you get scared, your adrenaline starts pumping. A lot of people will like pee their pants. That's because guess what? The bladder is not a a primary functional system for survival. Your arms and your legs are, your eyes are. That's why people get tunnel vision. They're like, I got to sprint out of here. And so what happens is you're in these situations where you're showing up as yourself as a child. You're going through in your developmental years trying to understand who you are. Well, how do you understand who you are? I mean, if you really think about it, we learn who we are through experimentation, through trying different things, but ultimately the truth of it is through failure, right? Because then we can kind of make meaning and go, oh, I tried that thing and actually it's not suiting me or I didn't like it or I'm really bad at it and I don't ever want to do it again because it's not actually what I want. Well, if you grow up in a home that's safe, you can fail in a way that you get the space to have grace and compassion, right? Your parents don't lock you in a closet, right? They don't beat you senseless. You don't get chastised and and deal with ramifications that are, you know, similar to Guantanamo Bay. But when you are in a traumatic household, you experience this vast amount of pain around your failures that reinforces this idea that it's not safe to be you. Because think about this, you showed up, you tried to be who you are. Well, you had to suffer for that. Well, now the brain goes, shit, Being me is dangerous, so I don't want to be me anymore because when I'm me, I'm hurt. And that's an autonomic response for survival. And what happens through that is, and this is one of the really unfortunate parts of it, that actually serves you for a period of time, 
right? For you to bend, to become a chameleon, to placate, to not be you, because that keeps you safe. I mean, when I go look at my childhood, when I go look at some of the childhoods of the clients that I've coached, we all have one thing in common. We didn't know how to be ourselves, because every time we were us, we were hurt. And so you go through this process where you're 8, 12, 16, 18 years old, and it makes sense. Don't be you because you'll be safe. And then you're 22, 45, 57 years old, and you don't know how to say yes or say no. You have no idea what your wants, needs, or interests are. You can't express your boundaries. You get ran all over. You always bend to the will of other people. And then you have to make a decision. Because you see, so much of life is about the willingness to step into creating who you are. When I wrote my first book, one of the subchapter titles is Create You, because that's literally what this process is. This is the answer to your question. What happens is you have to recognize one of the most empirical truths about the healing journey. Change only happens when you make change happen. That that is something that I've learned through my journey, through my therapist, through my coaching, through blah, blah, blah. Most people think that they can just simply listen to a podcast or read a book or you know go to the gym two or three times, have a therapist, but that doesn't fix it. That doesn't change anything. What actually creates change in your life is the willingness to step into the discomfort of who it is that you believe you are by doing incredibly uncomfortable things all of the time. And what happens as you do that, this thing starts to get created in your life where it's called confidence. And see, at 27 years old, one of the things I realized is I had no confidence. I never believed in myself. Well, how can you believe in yourself if you've never had the space to be yourself, right? That's the juxtaposition of this. That's the dichotomy of it. And when I'm with my clients, great example. I was working with somebody just very recently. And when they came to me, no joke, man, they invested every last penny that they had. And I said to them, you have to understand something. The only thing that I can guarantee you on the backside of this is that your life will be different. I don't know what that means for you because you don't know who you are yet. But we're going to go through all these tools, these exercises, these practices, and this support. And we're going to get you there. And when she came in, barely surviving, life is upside down, about as bad as it can be, right? Because often, Paul, people come to me when they hit their rock bottom. And I told her something really important. I said, look, the only way this works is you have to go all in. You have to commit. And if you're not willing, like me, to say, to to answer the question, what are you willing to do? If the answer is anything less than no excuses, just results, it doesn't work right? Because the first thing that we do, think about the brain. What did I just say? When you are in this place of trying to step into you, the brain reverts to learn behavior to create safety. That's around discomfort. And so if this idea of stepping into who you are creates discomfort, well, automatically the brain wants to pull back from that. That's what I experienced in my own personal journey and in coaching her and so many other clients. And as we meticulously stepped day by day by day by day by day through and into who it is that she has now become, her life's very different. She's in a loving, caring relationship. She just had her first kid. She's an executive now at a company that everyone on planet earth has heard of. Why? How can that happen? How can that possibly, how can you go from rock bottom to your life being completely different? 
by making a decision that that's what you're willing to do. And so as you go through that process, you learn and you iterate and you grow and you fail. And through those failures, instead of beating yourself up, destroying yourself and hiding from who you are, you simply sit with them, acknowledge them, look at them, and then understand a really fascinating aspect of this journey that failure equals data. And failure is not who you are defined as. And when you can do that, you will build confidence because you will have comprehension about the things that you are attempting to do that are reinforced by the little victories of your life, which then leads to this place where one day you stand up and you go, ah, I know who I am. That was amazing. So people who are uh, not watching the video right now, as Michael is talking, as I'm sure anyone who's listening is, I'm just like nodding along. I'm just nodding my head because I'm like, yeah, that, that's it. This is, this is it, right? This is why I have this podcast. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, I'm like talking to myself right now because this is the exact thing at work I do with, with my clients. And it's, it's so refreshing, but it, the way you put it is so succinct. And, you know, there's, there's a few things. One, I want to emphasize something you said a little, a little bit earlier, which is that Every negative thing that we do is still to our brain, a positive thing. It's a safety mechanism. So that depression, that anxiety, that fear, that whatever, whatever your brain is doing, it's doing it for the reason of it is in some perverse way, thinking that it is going to benefit you, right? The, the anxiety keeps you from acting and the, it thinks that the action that you're going to take is going to hurt you. So but the anxiety is keeping you safe by keeping you from acting. Always our brain's only job is to keep us safe and keep us alive. That's all it's ever trying to do. So any action that you inherently take is, is that is your brain trying to do that. But now the, the, the danger comes in and that we live in a world where that, where, as you said, we have to face discomfort and inherently that discomfort is counter to our safety in the, it, in the short term of what our brain understands in reality. In the long term, we need that discomfort. We need to put ourselves out there. We need to ask for the job. We need to ask the girl out. We need to invest in the company. We need to invest in ourselves. But it, it's that short-term discomfort versus that long-term, that, that that long-term gain, right? Because the gain is usually out there in the future, and that's what kind of brings me to my next question. Because this is one of the, the I, I talk about paradoxes a lot on here. This is one of the paradoxes I've been thinking a lot about lately. That's exactly what you were saying about not knowing who you are, right? So we need a plan and a, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, right? A goal to work towards. And yet when we make these goals, right? I might make a five-year plan, but who I am today is so different than who I'm going to be five years from now, right? So how do I, how do I balance those two of, I need to plan for the future and yet I don't know who I am today, let alone who I'm going to be a year, let alone five years or 10 years from now. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, so many people always go to like create the plan, create the framework and, and set goals. And I do too, because they're important because they just simply become these markers that we move towards. But I, I think one of the things people really fail to talk about is that you can change your mind. Like I'll give you a perfect example. I have dedicated so much time, effort, energy, and money into building Think Unbroken, to speaking on stages, to podcasting, blah, 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 blah. 
dude, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't want to do this anymore, I'm out. I'm done. It's fine. You're allowed to change your mind. And that's the thing that people need to hold on to because that's how people end up like when you don't give yourself the space to be nimble in the world that we live in, the thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up working at a job that you hate in a relationship that you don't want to be in with all of these roles and responsibilities that you want no part of. And you're going to be fucking miserable. And a lot of people are because they're terrified of change. Again, this all ties into the same thing. The brain going change is scary. Instead of changing, I'm going to stay where I am. And I would much rather suffer in the pain of the reality that I live in than face the discomfort of the unknown. Right. And so one of the things that I think quite frequently, and especially in life as a whole, is just to give yourself some grace. Be like, you know what? Yeah, make a plan. Have a fucking direction. Wake up in the morning and move towards something. Until you discover that moving towards that thing is not what fulfills you, doesn't bring you joy, doesn't make you satiated, doesn't fulfill you, doesn't give you whatever it is that you need, which you originally thought you were going to get by pursuing it. And until that moment, don't stop. But then the next question I'm sure is going to be, well, how do you figure out where you want to go and what you want your goals to be? Well, that's very simple. The thing that you do is that you sit the fuck down and you take a piece of paper and you write out this idea about the person that you believe you are. And if you are being honest with yourself about the person that you believe you are, you create a framework around what it is that you believe that person that you think you are would do on a day-to-day basis to live the life that they want to have. That's what you do. And if that means, and look, like, let's, let's keep it in reality because there's people who are going to be like, yeah, well, I want to be an astronaut. Okay, cool. Well, guess what? Did you go to like fucking MIT? Are you training? Are you in the military? Like you got to keep it realistic. You want to be in the NBA? Okay. That's real great. Are you five foot one? Right? Like keep it in reality. Like stop setting your, that's the thing with goals, man. People set themselves up for failure all the time. They're like, I'm going to go start my side hustle and be a millionaire in six months. No, you're not. I promise you're not. Like zero, 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 one percent chance that would ever happen, right? People are like, I'm going to start working out and eating healthy and I'm going to be shredded in two weeks. Nope. You're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. Like I remember one time when I was young, I was like, okay, I'm going to get healthy because I'd been back and forth as a kid. Like I was, I wore Husky size. Like that is between kid size and adult size. It's you're too fat to wear kids clothes, but you're not big enough to wear adults clothes. And it's called Husky and it fucking sucks. And I remember being a little kid and going to Walmart because that's if we were fu- if we were lucky we would get some clothes from Walmart like you dude the the God had to shine some light on us that day right and so uh, one day we go to Walmart I get a new pair of pants and a shirt and I'm just like so incredibly embarrassed right because I'm overweight but it makes sense looking back, all of our food was pantry food. It was processed food. There were no healthy whole foods in our house. We didn't have money. We were poor. And so I decide, and this is like the summer, I think I'm in seventh grade. I'm like, no, I was in sixth grade. I was like, I'm going to get in shape. You know what I did for three days in a row? I did like 10 push-ups and 10 sit-ups, and nothing changed. And then I just stopped. I was like, well, that didn't work. 
people set themselves up for failure. Even at that young of an age, I set myself up for massive failure. Make goals that are attainable. People are like, well, if a goal's attainable, then I'm not going to feel good about it. I'm like, yeah, you will. Do something that you can move towards. I mean, I've got big, high, like massive goals, right? One of my goals was to speak in front of 25,000 people. I haven't gotten there yet, but I have spoken in front of 10,000 people, right? But I also have spoken in front of two people and nobody came to my first workshop. You know what I mean? Like, trust me, you want to set yourself up for success where you are right now and still have big goals. Like too many people's goals are too small, right? They're way too small. They're just like, I just want enough to get by. Like, why? There's people who have abundance. You can have that too. They're like, I just want a relationship where it's okay. I'm like, that's nonsense. I want the best relationship of all time. People are like, I just want a body that works. And I'm like, why don't you want a body that thrives? You know, and so set yourself up for massive success by having really, really big goals, but just move towards them with patience and understanding that it's just going to take time. Yeah, that's amazing. I talk about this stuff a lot because my background is I started as a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. So I've the, the fitness analogies are like right where I'm at. And literally episode two of this podcast way back almost 100 episodes ago was just about goal setting. And it's exactly that, right? It's how do you set setting small, small enough goals that they're attainable, but big enough goals that they stretch you. And that's like that that Goldilocks magic zone. And, you know, the thing is that people don't understand that it's that part of that is you need it to be attainable, but you also need it to stretch you. And the reason that's important is because you will quit on goals that don't hit that zone, right? So if a goal is yes. too far out, right? If I say I'm going to be playing the NBA tomorrow, but I'm a five foot two Jewish white guy from Brooklyn and I've never played basketball, my brain subconsciously knows that I'll never achieve this goal. So it won't even let me try. And if it's too easy, right? That There's a book called Flow uh, by Mikhail mm -hmm. Chehezmihai. You know, and he talks about the basically the concept of flow. If you were playing tennis and you're playing against someone who, if I'm playing against Roger Federer, I'm never going to find flow because he's too good and he's just going to destroy me. Similarly, if I'm a decent tennis player and I'm playing against my seven-year-old nephew, I'm also never going to find flow because he's not, he's not good enough to challenge me. So we need to be challenged enough to push us out of our comfort zone, but it has to be a challenge. If it's too easy, our brain goes, well, I've already got this in the bank and there's no reason for me to push and actually try. And that's why people can be become unmotivated when they find things that, again, that, that they're not reaching far enough, but also that they're reaching too far. So we have to find that that sweet spot. But there was something that you you mentioned, you know, as you're talking, you said, like be, being nimble and having some grace with yourself. I think that's super important, right? Because what doesn't bend will break, right? So we have to have that that level of uh, of, of grace, as you said, but sometimes I've seen that people can take that too far. And, and then we get into what a lot of people, I don't know how you feel about this term, how I feel about this term, even, but victim thinking, right. That, that everyone becomes the victim because, you know, they, they're, they're giving themselves so much, right. There's so much, you know, self-care. There's so much, there's so much grace that, that now nothing is their fault and that like, well, it's, everything is just happening to me. So. My, my question is, you know, if everything is a choice and I can just think myself out of things, why are so many people 
choosing to stay stuck in this victim mentality? What's what's the benefit in that? Well, I, I definitely don't think that you can think yourself out of things because I'm thinking about being on a yacht in the Pacific right now. I'm not there. I don't think life works that way. What I, what I do know to be true, though, is that one of the things that people have to do is take self-assessment and they have to be radically honest with themselves, brutally honest and unabashedly honest. Like you, it's, you know, it's standing in front of the mirror, naked level of honesty. Right. And, and it's sitting there and asking yourself this question. And this is really, really, really important. Am I taking care of myself or am I taking it easy on myself? Because these are not the same things. You know, a lot of times people will be like, oh, I had a hard day at work. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a bubble bath. I'm going to drink a bottle of wine. I'm going to Netflix all day. Okay, cool. You might need that sometimes. Like, really? You may. I don't know. Everybody's different. But do you need it four times a week? Because if that's what's happening, you got to get really honest with yourself because something there is not copacetic, right? People will be like, you know, wanting to change their life. And they're like, I just want everything to be different but they keep doing the same shit. I'm like, look, you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to continue to stay where you are because you've gotten to where you are because of the things that you've done. So what makes you think that the things that you have done are going to get you to where you want to go? You are operating in a limited fixed mindset with a limited foundation and basis of information that has just simply allowed you to exist where you are. If you want growth, if you want change, like, look, mentorship and coaching is the greatest thing I've ever invested in. Reading books, listening to podcasts, going to conferences, having mentors who they're like, dude, get your shit together. Look at what you're doing. Like that matters so much. And, and people are so afraid of that because they think it's ridicule. And it's not. It's, it's about how do you go to the next level? Like I'll give you a perfect example. I know that I am not good enough yet keyword yet, I am not good enough yet to create the change that I want to make in the world. There is more work to do. I've been able to get to where I am with the information that I have with the people that I've worked with to get here. But I also have recognized and realized that the importance of going to the next level is bringing in more people, more information, the next step, harder challenges, bigger stages, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so when it begins though, it's very simple. You have to get out of your own damn way. Like that's really what it comes down to. More people are scared of success than they are scared of failure. Because when you fail, you go, I knew it. I always fail. I'm a fucking loser. But what's really difficult is to be like, oh, I did it. Yes, I did it. I feel good about myself. I'm proud of And look, success, like honestly, start where you are. Start where you are. Because I promise you right now, like, for me at the beginning of this, some of the hardest days for me were taking a shower and brushing my teeth, right? That's real. You know, being 350 pounds, like some of the hardest days for me were just getting on the yoga mat and moving my body, right? For, for many of the clients that I coach, some of the hardest days for them are just saying no, like recognizing how their boundaries are being overstepped. But you can't do that if you're playing the victim. You can't do that if you're blaming the world. And I'm not going to take your victimhood away from you. 
You're welcome to have it. I get, dude, if anybody gets it, I get it, man. Like, it's not a competition, but I get it. You can stay there. You can play that role. You can be that person. You are more than welcome to. But at some point, you have to recognize this. The things that happened to you in your past, you are not culpable for. That means that's not your responsibility. It's not on you. But then there's a moment that comes to pass in which you have to recognize from this moment forward, everything is. And if you're not willing to sit in that truth and own it, two things are going to happen. One, on your deathbed, you are going to die, obviously. But the last thing that's going to come out of your mouth is you're going to be like, I wish I would have done this. You're going to die with regret. The other thing, and this is the harder reality. This is the thing people don't want to hear. This is the thing that people email me about, that they cancel me about, that they DM me about all the time. If you aren't willing to change your life and you just want to complain all the time and you want to blame the world and not take accountability for your actions, not others, your actions and the things that you are not doing to change your life, then you got to shut the hell up because nobody cares. We all got shit, man. We all have suffer. We all have pain. There's nobody that has it easy in this life. I promise. Dude, I know billionaires who are suffering. You know what I mean? Like people think that it's just like this thing's going to, it's not. The only way you change your life is by changing your life. And if you want to play the victim, go for it. But nobody wants to hear it. And the circle, look at your friends. I promise you. All right. If you're listening to this, you're like, fuck that guy. Okay, cool. I respect that. I get it. Cause I'd probably say the same thing, but go look at your friends. Go look at your community. Go look at your family. Are they all in victimhood? Are they all playing the victim? When you guys sit around, is it just bitching about how bad life is? Because if it is, got to check the people that you're around because you're not going to be able to change your life in that. Like it's a crab in a bucket mentality. I realized a long time ago that the people in my life, though I loved them and care about them tremendously, were pulling me down because nobody one time smacked me in the face and said, hey, you're being an idiot. I kind of really use that. And what happens is now I look at my community, I look at my peers, I look at the people in my life. We are all going places. We are not happy. We are not satisfied. We are not content. We are trying to build, create, and change the world. We are trying to grow, to become the best version of ourselves, to be a different person than we were yesterday, to stand in our own truth and authenticity and say, I'm the hero of my own story. And if those aren't the kind of people that you're around, it's going to be real hard to pull yourself out of this. And so again, long, long answer short, you're welcome to play the victim, but at the end of the day, nobody cares. Man, that was, <laughs> I, I had to mute myself because I'm like snapping and clapping the whole time over here. That, that is everything. There's so much that you just said that, I mean, I would love, love to unpack, but we, we, that would be a whole other podcast for one. I mean, I literally have done episodes on everything that you just said. I have an episode on celebrating small wins because that's huge. I literally have an episode called nobody cares about you. And that's a good thing. 
I have an episode on extreme ownership. So anyone who wants to unpack these these concepts a little bit more, I'll link to all of those in the show notes because th these are all super real, real things. But there's something that you said that really just kind of tr triggered something for me, not triggered in a, in a bad way, but we said like mm -hmm. standing, in, we had to be honest with ourselves and standing in front of a mirror naked. And you, I think you said it metaphorically, at least it, that's how it stood to me. But I'm like, in my head, I'm like, how many people are out there that literally can't do that? That literally they are so disgusted with themselves or so like avoidant of the reality of the life that they're living that they don't even look at themselves in the mirror. They won't be, be see themselves shirtless in a mirror or won't look at themselves naked because they they want to change, but they're not taking that the action to actually change it. And what does that say about the world that we live in? There's just something that just like kind of like when you said that to me, I was like, whoa, like that's a, a real thing that people probably struggle a lot with. Yeah. And I mean, of course there's the physical side of it, right? Like that's, that's a given. And I think I, I, there's no person on planet earth who hasn't stood in front of a mirror and not like their body it doesn't work that way. Sorry. You're not the only one, right? It's, it, it's, it's more so about recognizing one of the really important aspects of what that moment can be for you. And I don't know that you necessarily literally have to be naked in front of the mirror. I've done that because I was like, look, motherfucker, you're 350. do something. Dude, like, this is embarrassing. This is, but look, where does that come from? There's shame, there's guilt, there's judgment, there's ridicule. All that stuff sits inside of you. And what I, what I started to realize, like, in those moments was instead of beating myself up, I'm just going to be like, hey, I love you today. I challenge people to do that. Go stand in the mirror. I wrote about this in my book. This is the hardest thing, even literally to this day, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. I would go stand in the mirror and look at myself in the eyes and tell myself I love you. Talk about something so unbelievably uncomfortable. And people are so easy to go and stand in front of the mirror and pick themselves apart. Uh, now, look, depending, uh, Paul, I assume you and I have a very similar personality. There's something about that that works for us, right? That may not work for everybody else. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I kick myself in my own ass all the time, right? But that's because I just quit on myself for the first 26 years. I need a little foot in my ass. I don't need all the compassion and grace and hugs, right? Sometimes I do, but most of the time it's get your shit together, dude, let's go. You have to, this is like, oh my God, this is why it's so important. Know who you are. Know who you are. Be honest with yourself. There's funny is, you know, I think it's really interesting. People will go get coached by folks and like my coach didn't help me. I was like, no, because you had the wrong coach, man. You didn't ask yourself the right questions to have the right support. Some people need the hug and the high five. Some people need the foot. Like it's totally different. We're all different. But ultimately that moment, that thing in the mirror, it's really about coming to truth. It's really about coming to the reality of who are you right now? Where are you at? How did you get here? And how do you get to where you want to go? And just giving yourself what you need. Because there's a lot of people who will not do that. And ultimately, that's where it all begins. You hear about so many people. I'm not alone in this. This is There are so many people who are like, yeah, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, that's how, now's the time. We're going to change. That's where honesty comes in because, look, you can lie to your friends, you can lie to your wife, your kids, your employees, your coworkers, your church, your neighbor. But when you go stand in front of that damn mirror and you look at yourself in the eyes, you cannot hide from that. 
And the more that you hide from it, it's going to fester. It's going to boil up. It's going to find you. And so, you know, you can, you can have it come and find you or you can go and find it. Yeah, that, I mean, one, I'm super, again, appreciative of you sharing that, that bit about your actual experience with this. And that's super powerful. I think to that real thing of like, yes, literally standing in the mirror and, and being able to tell yourself, I love, I love me. I, right, I love, <laughs> I'm okay with me. And it's so, it's such a, uh, such a, when you think about it, like logically, why would that be so hard? But I guarantee a lot of people listening would struggle to do the same thing. And, you know, we're talking about all this stuff and a lot of things that come to my mind are as soon as I know that when people are listening to this, right, and instantly things trigger in them. Like, no, no, but you like, I'm different. You don't understand like th my, my situation. And I, the thing is that when people have talk about excuses, whatever your excuse is, whether it's not having the money, not having the time, not having, the, not knowing what to do, just not being ready, I, you know, this goes back to the victimhood stuff we were talking about. I say to people, your excuses are real. Your excuses are valid. Yeah. Like, like not having time. People say, oh, I just need to stop. I, I just need to stop making excuses. That's not, that's not the case. Not having time is a real thing. But who has time? Not having money is a real thing. I haven't met, I, I've met millionaires as well. I've met, I've, met, I've met people with a lot of money. And for some reason, they feel like they have no money also. No one ever gets to a point where there's like, I have too much money. I have too much time and I have too much love for myself. So we have to, you know, at a certain point say, okay, I don't have it. I don't have any of this stuff. And now what? So, you know, my question for you is like, how do we get from that place of like, we have these excuses. They're, they're real. We have all of these reasons not to act. And how do we take that and then move forward towards be becoming the hero of our own story, especially when in today's world, we can feel like the support characters, right? Especially if I, I know as you do working with men, a lot of men are dads, right? And they're, can, they can feel like I'm not the hero in my story anymore because I have to be the provider. I have to be the, the, the dad who works, you know, 18 hours and then comes home just to sleep and, you know, d does it again. So how do I get at shift from that thing of like, I have all the excuses to I'm becoming the hero in my own story. Yeah. You do it anyway. Like, like really, like that's the truth about it. I know that sounds so simple. People are like, I don't have enough money. I'm like, that's the exact reason why you should do it. I don't have enough time. That's why you should do it. I'm tired. That's why you should do it. I'm a dad. That's an even better reason why you should do it. Every one of your excuses is the exact reason why you should do the thing. Everyone. Because look, those excuses, we all got them, man. Commit first and figure out the rest later. You know, think about this for a second. And, and that's something that Grant Cardone taught me, which has literally changed my life forever. When you're a kid, the only thing you're ever focused on is being solution-oriented. Think about this for a second. When you're a kid and you want something, what are you willing to do to get that? Anything it takes. Man, you will beg, borrow, steal, barter. I'll cut the grass. I'll clean the car. I'll, I'll eat my broccoli. I'll, I'll do all the dishes for seven straight years. I'll get straight. To get the thing that you want, you will do anything. And then you get delusioned by reality. Because of the adults in your life, one day you're sitting around and you're like, man, I want to be a rock star. And they're like, oh, you're not, no, you can't be a rock star. That's for those other people. And you're like, I want to, I want to travel the world. No, no, you can't. It's dangerous out there. I remember this. And my friend Neo has the same story, which I think is absolutely hilarious. 
I remember talking to my grandma and I'm like, I'm going to travel the world one day. She's like, it's dangerous out there. Don't travel the world. My grandma never left Indiana, dude. What the fuck does she know about the world? I've lived in 12 countries. I've traveled all over the place. I'm a kid that comes from the hood where nobody leaves. You're pro- there was a higher likelihood of me dying in my neighborhood than half the place. And I've been in some weird places in the world, I promise. But there were, there's a higher likelihood of me dying in my neighborhood. Why would I listen to her? Why would I ever listen to people who've never done the thing I'm trying to do? People are always asking. This is why I don't ask anybody's opinion. I will never ask anyone's opinion about anything. And for some people, it drives them crazy. They're like, you're just so decisive all the time. I'm like, because your opinion is going to get in my way, right? Because people are like, where do you want to go to eat? I'm like, I want to go eat here. I don't ask, where do you think we should go eat? People will be like, hey, I'll give you a great example. I started a new company a month ago. It's called Pods of Purpose, and it's for purpose-driven entrepreneurs, leaders, change makers, authors, speakers, and coaches to come together to learn how to use their voice like this to create change in the world and make money while doing it. I didn't ask anybody what I should do. I didn't ask what it should be called, who it should be for, what's involved, nothing. It's not your business, and your opinion isn't mine. And so people are stuck in these excuses because they're out here asking everybody what they should do. People are out here asking their friends about their relationship. Why don't you ask your boyfriend? Man, that drives me crazy all the time. Now, look, there are times I want opinions, right? I want to see factual data and research. I'll say, hey, this is a thing I'm dealing with in my life. I've exhausted everything that I know and I understand about it, right? Can someone tell me their experience? I'm not looking for their opinion for them to tell me what to do. I'm looking for their experience so I can make an educated decision based on all the information that I gather, which honestly, because I'm neurotic, sometimes I will literally put in a spreadsheet and then I will make meaning of it and I'll go, okay, where's the median here? Okay, cool. Maybe I'll explore that aspect of it, right? Because like even like buying this podcast microphone, I knew I needed to research it. It would have been much more difficult for me to just go buy something than to get input from the people who had already used it. So what did I do? I asked my friends, I said, who has one of these Shure SMB7 mics with a Rodecaster Pro and a Blackmagic ATM Mini? Like three people are like, I do. I said, can I have a five-minute conversation with you? They said yes. Why? Because I don't want to learn from people who don't. If you're like, man, I don't have that mic, but this is my opinion, you can't help me. And that's the thing. Those excuses, that comes from these places where people are like, yeah, but that guy told me. That guy ain't never done the shit you're trying to do. So stop letting his excuse be your excuse. And the excuses that you have, recognize that those have been embedded in you from other people for your entire life. And you've got to face the fear of being able to make your own decisions. I love that, especially that last bit, right? That, that those excuses have been embedded in you. I think that, 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 that just like set off a light bulb because it is right. Like that. I don't have, I don't have, or I don't have money is a, is a great one, right? I don't have money comes from not having money growing up, right? My parents always said, we don't have money for that. My parents always said, we can't afford that. My parents always said, you know, we'll, we'll eat at home. We're not eating out. We're not wasting money on that. Whatever things, those money mindsets get drilled into our brain. And now here I am as an adult making 
a, a lot more money, let's say we're hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, still living, feeling poor. And the same thing with time, the same thing with everything. We never have time. So it's important to kind of investigate where are these thoughts coming from? I, I, I say a lot, you know, like whose thought is that? A lot of times people will say things, right? And it's like this, this parroted mimic thing of like the, the, the talking heads from, from the news or the social media or something, you know? And it's just like, you didn't have that thought. That's a thought mm -hmm. that someone else had that you heard. And now you're saying as if it's your own <laughs> thought. And yep. we, we, we kind of get stuck with this. You don't remember, you don't think about it that way, but I'm like, I heard that on TV, you know? And it's like, you, you didn't create that. So we can, we can do this investigation with, with our limiting beliefs, with our excuses, with all of the things that are holding us back and kind of say like, Hmm, you know, is this something that I really need to like, is really a, a thing? Cause sometimes there is a limit, right? Something costs a hundred dollars and I have $50. That's a real thing. Okay. Like, yeah. But the feeling of not having money, the feeling of not being able to afford something, that's something that could be ingrained in us. And it could be a holdover from a different time in our life. It can be from a lot of, a lot of different places. So I think that's a really, a really cool example that, you know, to, to kind of start to show people that th there's no one answer for this, but it's that it's being open to that investigation and being open to questioning our beliefs and like that, th that feeling of like, is this really the way it is? And that's an yeah. uncomfortable thing to say, because if I believe that for so long, if I believe that, you know, the only reason I'm not successful is because I don't have enough money and it takes money to make money. And I'm just, you know, like it, it, the, the deck is stacked against me. And that's been the belief that I've had up until I'm 32. And now I kind of go, hmm, like maybe that's not the truth. But then what does that mean? It means that I've kind of been the one that's holding myself back the whole time. And that's a very uncomfortable thing to sit with as well. So there's, there's a, I think a reason that people shy away from this type of, uh, of, of investigation, but it's extremely important if you want to, as, as you said, Michael, be the person who takes action. And at the end of the day. Yeah. And I want to say this too, there's a level up process, right? There's a level up process. When I started this journey, no joke, I, I'll never forget this. I'm 20 years old. I might've been 21. My roommate's girlfriend comes into my room she knocks on the door. Hey, can I give you something? I'm like, yeah, what's up? She gives me a copy of Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth, and I threw it in the trash can. And and then I realized something. Like she saw something in me that I didn't see because she was paying attention. And then I realized, oh, my God, I won't even spend $5 on a book. $5 on a book. And then I said to myself, okay, cool. Let me start to invest there. I'll buy books. And then really, honestly, one of the scariest investments I've ever made in my life, this is what you have to do. You have to learn to reprogram yourself around the way you spend money. I know this is an offshoot, but this is important because we're talking about it. I spent $97 on a course with Brendan Burchard. This had to be seven years ago. It's five years. I don't know. It was a long time ago. And I was terrified. I was like, oh, $97, this guy can't. And dude, it was one of the greatest things I've ever invested in. The course was fine. Like I don't really remember it because it was that long ago, but the impact of it mattered because I realized like I was worth it. People have more invested in their shoes than they do in their life. You're putting more value on your car, on your clothes, on the restaurants you go to on the purse on your shoulder than you are into yourself. 
And so I noticed that and I was like, man, it's crazy. I got an $85,000 car, but I've invested $0 in my own life. That's stupid. And so from there, I just went deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually, you know, now I, I've last year, last year alone, I spent an Ivy League degree on just my personal development. And every single day I'm trying to think, I'm like, okay, cool. I used to struggle to spend $5 on a book. How do I spend 500 million? Right. And, and it's just a level up process. It's different for everybody. Yeah, I think exactly that it's, it's start small and you, you know, everyone finds different, different routes to this path, but I think it's so important to be able to invest in yourself exactly for the reason that you said, it's not about the thing you buy even, or the amount you spend. It's about what you're doing, what you're telling your subconscious mind. When you do that, when you pay, invest in yourself, when you buy a course, when you hire a coach, you're saying, I am worthy of this investment. I, I am worth spending money on. And that is a trigger that will it, it, nothing else will, will trigger some transformation in you. So I think that that is hugely impactful. And I really appreciate that. Um, and I want to, uh, start to wrap things up here, Michael. So I'm going to ask you one question. You've already given so many answers. So you could regurgitate something you've already said, but this is the same question I ask all of my guests, which is if you could simply leave listeners with one action step, as soon as this podcast ends, as soon as they take their headphones out to start living a happier, healthier life, what would it be? Yeah. Go and listen to this again with a piece of paper and a pen in your hand. I love that. That's an easy action step. And I have a piece of paper and a pen in my hand. I've been taking notes the whole time and I was here. All right. So for anyone listening, you should definitely be going back and listening. This was a masterclass on mindset, personal development, personal growth. Um, So I really, truly appreciate you being here, Michael. I'm going to have links to everything that you've given me in the show notes from your podcast to your books and everything else. But is there anything else that you want to talk about or any last words of wisdom you want to leave people with before we go? No, man. Um, everybody can find me on social at Michael and broken. Um, I'm the only one who checks any of my social medias. If you want to DM me, I will respond to you. And sometimes it takes me a while because I get a lot of them, but I always do. Um, and you're welcome to check out the think unbroken podcast on YouTube or Spotify or Apple. Uh, just look up think unbroken. Yeah, that's a great show. And I listen to it a lot as well. So thank you so much for being here, Michael. And I really do appreciate it. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next week, stay happy. Stay healthy.